0: Alright, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, good. we are good. This is episode 23 of that One bottle's podcast. And my next guest, you may know her from her Instagram page, Purple Couch Therapy. You may also know her as being a professor at Our Lady Lake University. You may also know her just being a badass woman. (laughs) My next guest is (laughs) Miss Jessica Reynolds. How are you? What's
1: good, what's good?
0: What is good? Thank you
1: so much for, for letting me do this.
0: Letting you? What What are you talking about? <laughs> like, oh, man. See, my, my Instagram almost went off. I recorded that. Um, no, like I've, I've been wanting to do this with you for a minute now. Um, ever since I did the story, I was like, man, like she'd be a great podcast episode. Aww. I feel like that with a lot of people that I interview. I'm like, oh, man, like because TV news, it's just what yeah. two minute story. Yeah. And there's so many great things you have to cut out, mm-hmm. you know, to fulfill that two minute, you know, you know, that time, like you're confined to that time. If my bosses, they're like, hey, like, you know, if you want it to be longer, you know, give us a reason why and they're, they always hear nice. me out. They always hear me out. Nice. So I love, I love my job.
1: They trust you. They know you, you yeah. know what you're doing.
0: Shout out Spectrum News. I love y'all.
1: Spectrum News, we appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so how or what prompted you to get into the mental health work field? When it did happen.
1: That's crazy. I feel like mental health. Is. Has always been a part of my life. In some kind of way. Like since a. Since a child. Mm -hmm. And seeing like different. Just different trauma. And stuff that I've gone through. As a child. That I didn't really even know. It was trauma. Um, Because a lot of people think. Trauma is like. Some type of. Like it's a big. Life event. But trauma can be very small things. And so. Growing up. I realized like. Mental health has followed me all around everywhere everywhere i've gone but i I got into it in my early 20s um started working at planned parenthood and just realized that i have a good connection with people and um i just vibe well with people that are in vulnerable situations i make them feel like humans and i was like oh i should probably go to graduate school and then got a master's in social work at university of Denver. And realize that I'm a social worker before a therapist. Social workers are about social justice and all of that. So when I see a client, like I look at people from the different social aspects that are affecting them too. So
0: Okay. You what kind of conversations do you and your parents have on this issue, you know, growing up?
1: Um, so my mom, uh, it's really with my mom. My dad passed away when I was like 16. So that's probably like the driving force of why I got in the mental health field. Because I realized like after going to graduate school, um, in graduate school, they make you do this thing called a genogram. And like, you basically like look in your, and, and mind you, I went to university of Denver. So like everybody was everybody was white. Not that white people don't have problems, but (laughs) (laughs) my problems, my family just looked a little more, a little more like, you know, like when you see it, you like, it's a map and it shows like, you know, the divorces, uh, freaking alcoholism. And I just saw how like domestic violence, like all this stuff, like you, you map it out and you see how like everybody, if you like map your family out two or three generations back, you'll look at this whole map and symbols and you're like, this is a hot mess yeah <laughs> it's a hot all this trauma and and so i don't know i feel like it's something that has followed me generationally and so wow yeah
0: did you ever look at something like you just mentioned earlier like little things mm-hmm. was there something that you discovered maybe it was through therapy or maybe it was through you know you um working making strides to become a social worker that you figured out man that thing was triggering so many, so much trauma, and I didn't realize it was.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even today, I mean, like, the triggers, uh, triggers like an overused word, but really, trigger, I mean, all it means is that, like, your brain is re experiencing something that I experienced before. Mm. So it could be positive or negative, but most of the time, you know, you're going to like realize the negative because the negative causes like different anxiety and stuff in your body, and you just feel uncomfortable. And so, i feel like there's so many triggers that i still discover even now today as a therapist even when i talk to a client they could say something to me and i could be triggered by that you know what i mean and so as a therapist it's important for you to be able to like check that like yeah. for me to make a mental note like okay i need to go back to that like why did why did that come up why did i feel like that so i mean yeah i learned about relationships it's really it's really when i get in relate that's really what it is relationships like intimate relationships that's when like the triggers go off yeah <laughs> For real.
0: <laughs> so where are you from?
1: Killeen, Texas.
0: Killeen, Texas. Yes,
1: Colleen. Fort Hood, where the, all the craziness is going on right now. Crazy. But military background. That was in the Army. And then we just got stationed in Killeen and never left. And so I was in Killeen since I was like 17, and left Killeen, went to Austin, went to Texas State for a second, and then ended up moving to Denver, got married young that's like how old are you I was like 20 when we got married I had no idea what the heck I was doing I had completely no idea all I knew was I was pregnant I was like we should get married like I had no idea what we were doing then was we stayed married for nine years we I followed him to Denver but what's crazy is I've met I have like the bestest friends that I met in Denver my adult life so still go back there today
0: uh what's what was Denver like when you got there
1: Denver. Well, it's weird because like when I first moved there, cause I was going to Texas state and like, people were just like, Denver, isn't that just like where all the white people are? Like there's no black people in Denver. And I was like, man, I just think it's going to be horrible. Then when we got there, that's where I started actually like connecting with nature. And I was able every day to see like mountains. Yeah, We didn't live in a mountain town. Like people think that it's like a mountain. We lived, you've been to Denver before. Have you you've been to Denver? Before? No. Okay. Yeah. You should go.
0: Nah, but... the only place I've been to out of Texas are Detroit Nola. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. count Mexico. Oh, you we were both in Nola that week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so funny. It was what your thirty my birthday, thirtieth birthday, and you're
1: the journalist thing. I know what you're talking about because my yeah. friends were in that. They were in that too. But yeah, because they
0: did that run right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so funny.
1: Yeah, Small but world. no, Denver was amazing because the mountains. I miss Denver still today, but now I can't afford to live in Denver. Denver's expensive. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, it's expensive to live in Denver. Cannabis oh is legal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's like cannabis is legal yeah um, what was your favorite thing to do I mean you said with nature what was your favorite thing to do just like
1: I just discovered like hikes and like just being outside and like really understanding I never knew the importance of like outdoors and how that can affect your whole mood and mental health and I talk to clients all the time I'm like have you got out your house No, I'm like, okay, you need sunshine to hit you, to let you know there's life there. Like, you need to be reminded of those things that are infinite, like the sun, the moon, like all the things that always, like, it sounds hippie-ish, but (laughs) (laughs) But it's real, though. It's real. Like, we got to, and more and more people now, since the coronavirus has happened, more and more people have been getting connected with nature because it's, like, things that you can depend on, going outside and taking a walk, it makes a huge difference, so... I think just realizing the importance of going, I used to hate going outside and I went to Denver. I, the air was cleaner. I just, just appreciated it.
0: <laughs> um, was it difficult adjusting because like the altitude and stuff?
1: At first it was. I was pregnant when we first moved there. I was like, I was pregnant with my Otis. She'll be 12 in September, which is crazy. I had no idea what I was doing. I, was, I still said I still talk about that story. I'll tell her today. I'm like, "Remember when I locked you in the car like by an accident? I was like 20. I was like, I didn't know what I was doing." Oh my god. <laughs> what the hell? It was a mistake. I got out of the car because my my kid's father, he had deployed since we got there. He I was like this 20-year-old in a news in a new town, like no idea what I'm doing with a kid like in school. Literally when I graduated on my on what I um when I had her in the delivery room, I was still in my senior year finishing. Because everybody thinks like when you get pregnant, you're just going to like... I was my junior year when I got pregnant, undergrad. And I finished my senior year in the delivery room, like finishing my paper, my finals.
0: Oh my god! Yeah.
1: What? And after I had the baby, I was doing a paper.
0: Bro, that is so boss.
1: <laughs> Holy
0: shit. Story Damn. of my life. Those of y'all listening, if you're in school or whatever, I don't want to hear y'all complain about finishing work. Like, that's crazy.
1: I was determined, I was determined, yeah.
0: Where do you get that drive from?
1: I think it was from like seeing my mom and like seeing how she became a single mother and how she had to work all these jobs and just how she struggled and I just didn't want that. And I knew that I was gonna have to do something. I'm like, I'm gonna have to make something out of myself. So, and I, I, I mean, my child, she, she definitely motivated me. I was like, I have to do something, so.
0: How did it feel to get that, that degree?
1: It felt horrible because I graduated in two thousand nine when the when the recession hit and I had a I didn't get a good job I had a, I worked at Planned Parenthood I was only making eleven dollars an hour you know and I, you didn't even need a degree you didn't even it was a recession so like my degree meant nothing like that's that's millennials like I'm a millennial <laughs> so when we graduated like I was twenty one and it was in two thousand nine and you couldn't get a job
0: how were you feeling at that time because I was. I was a teenager at the time, but I saw it affect my family. I, like, my uncle was in real estate. And yeah. literally all his businesses just went, yeah. went to crap.
1: Like, economically, I was okay because the kid's father was in the military. So, we yeah. weren't really hit, but it was like, I couldn't, I thought I was going to, you know, when you get your degree, you think you're going to get this, like, this job. <laughs> and you're like, eh, nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, was, I had to humble myself and be like, okay, $11 an hour is what I got to do. But that's where I discovered that I'm good at working with people was at that job. Oh, like, wow. You know, and that's where how I discovered, like, oh, I should go to school for this, you know. So I knew, like, really early on, probably when I was 21, that I wanted to be a therapist. Um, but I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't want to take the GRE. And so I was like, what degree can I get where I don't have to take the graduate? It's like the, you know, like the whatever you call it, the GMAT or whatever that graduate exam is. I'm a horrible test taker. I was like, what degree can I get where I don't? MSW, Master of Social Work. You don't have to get... Only University of Texas, I think, do the GRE, but University of Denver didn't. You didn't have to have one. You just had to write, like, a, you know, like, an essay and all that stuff, and so... Whoa. Just finesse my way right in. There you go. <laughs> my friend always be always said, she's like, they gave you a therapy license. <laughs> I'm like, I know, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: like you are like, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> jokes on them. Put it in the wrong person's <laughs> hands. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're there, um I I feel like everybody kind of goes through post graduation depression. hmm you went through a recession. You mm-hmm. had just had a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, how were you feeling, you know, with all that? Like, personally. Yeah. You said, I know you said financially you were fine. Yeah. because you know, he was in the military. I just so. felt
1: discouraged. Like, I just felt like I didn't think I was ever going to, like, be able to do what I wanted to do. Like, I just felt, like, just lost. And then... It's weird though, because I look back, like I look at like like degree I majored in my bachelor's degree, it was in healthcare management, mm-hmm. and I never thought I was gonna freaking use that degree, you yeah. know, because I went and got social work degree, but you need to know business in order to know in order to have like a private practice. So like now I'm using that degree because a lot yeah. of therapists don't know about business. <laughs> so
0: uh, I'll cut this out um, when you when you hit the table, yeah, it, it hears it, but you're good. Okay. What?
1: Our Chipotle's coming. <laughs> oh, okay. That's all good. Um,
0: yeah, so guys, we have Chipotle on the way. Uh, I was like,
1: we gotta like oh listen out God, for my Chipotle! is <laughs> my life! Yes. Um, Both hungry.
0: I know, starving. <laughs> um, okay, so at what point do you decide, I want to get my master's? Is it because of Plant Parenthood?
1: It was because... I wasn't doing, I, I just realized, well, Anna, after I worked at Planned Parenthood, like I thought I wanted to do, I thought I wanted to be like an executive at a hospital. Like that's why I got the healthcare management degree. I thought I was going to do like hospital administration, healthcare administration, but the more and more I looked at it, I'm just not, I don't work from that perspective. I'm not a bottom line person. Yes. Yeah. It's probably why I struggle in private practice. I just want to give out therapy for free and I can't, but I'm not a, like a bottom line person. And so uh, the social work degree helps you look at, like, a community, like, aspect and, like, how you can, like, help your community. I'm all about, like, the Robin Hood. Like, I'm, I wanted to take from the rich and give to the poor. Like, mm, okay. <laughs> that's how I think. You know what I mean? I'm still thinking of that. Like, with my freaking donation campaign, you know, it's like, whoever wants to donate so I can provide free therapy. Because I, I feel like we, I don't like to have barriers to mental health access. And that's what I want to help reduce is the barriers, to. That's why people don't. Yeah. Go get help.
0: So when you're um, getting your master's, um, is it still just your oldest daughter?
1: Yeah, it was just my oldest daughter. It was just my oldest daughter. Um, And then Bria was born after when I was working for CPS in Colorado. Oh. And I used to come home and just stare at the wall. (laughs) 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 That job came a long way.
0: (laughs) What was that like? I hear, you know... Um, and I know specifically in San Antonio, like there's a huge turnover rate, you know? Oh yeah.
1: I, yeah. Like, Texas is work. Colorado actually, I actually learned a lot about being a therapist when I worked for CPS because a lot about like being a therapist is being able to engage with people. And so like, if you can engage people that are resistant, that don't want you in their lives, most people don't want CPS workers in their life. Yeah. Then you really can do anything like i feel like cps is one of those jobs if like a person can go through that like you could do anything if you're good
0: <laughs> yeah um a lot of people view i know growing up there used to be a joke you know within our family within, uh-huh. within the hood was mm-hmm. oh we're gonna they're gonna call cps on you you know oh, yeah. and like so like cps was like the boogeyman the boogie oh yeah it like, still like,
1: is I'm uh, scared of CPS. Those, I mean, for some of the people they hire, shoot, I'm gonna yeah. be honest. <laughs> still, you should still be worried. It's a system. It's a yeah. bureaucracy. You should be worried. <laughs> CPS, like the, it, I think Texas alone. I don't know the statistics, but I think when I got into graduate school and I started studying, the disproportionate rate of black and brown children that get removed from their homes faster than than white kids and 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 uh, you know, like grow out the foster care system. Most of them are black and brown or they end up in prison after that, like when you start seeing the bigger, larger perspective of it, you should you should definitely be scared of CPS for sure. There's people that make bad decisions because they're overworked, because they don't have enough resources and the system kills us. But in Texas, they don't even hire social workers most of the time to be CPS workers. They're, I think now they've, I'm not, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure you don't even have to have a college degree anymore to be a CPS worker.
0: I think I saw something like that a couple couple years ago, and yeah. a lot of people who have their who have their masters were pissed off. Yeah, because they're like, yeah, we went through all of this. Yeah, just
1: their standards is like what, like you know, because they look at it more as an investigative role. When a parent makes a mistake, most parents like it's you have to look at the larger perspective of it. Like it's most parents don't wake up and be like, oh, I want to beat the hell out of my kid or whatever. Most of the time, you know, no, most of the time parents love their kids. It's just that there's so much stress economically. It's, it makes sense <laughs> why, why some of this stuff happens. Not saying that child abuse is good or okay or anything. I'm just saying that we got to fix the larger problems to help reduce child abuse. And we don't. All we do is we're reactive and we just like remove from the home and take more money into adoption. We're not shipping the money where it should go been like that for
0: years you feel like it's it's because people think it's just a black and white issue Mm -hmm. because they don't look at the layers they don't look at you know what led to this you know maybe this the, the mother of this child she was abused growing up
1: it's political i remember when i worked for cps i remember i got the administrator i got my raise reduced because i was insubordinate which is like a problem for all like black women we're seen as like these angry black women when we speak up in the workplace um and i wanted to wear jeans uh, in my client's homes because I want to look personable. I want to be able to connect with these people, not going in there looking like, that's why you're just scared of, like, you know, going there looking like some business person trying to like, Hmm, let me look through your house. Let me, I want to connect with people. And so like, but they, you have to like, basically you had to like donate to wear jeans, some type of stupid thing that they want you to do. And I never, I just, I'm a rebel. I never. I never did it, and the guy, the administrator like basically like took my like 1.5 percent of my raise away because I wasn't like following the rules. And it's just funny how life works out, though. That's why I try to tell like younger people now, like just try to look at the bigger picture. Which was hard for me too, but now I look like, hey, my logo. I'm wearing holy jeans. Like you, that's what's work. I know I wasn't crazy. Like you know what I mean. They try to gaslight you when you think you're crazy.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. That's how I I I try and approach things, and I'm glad my my workplace, like they don't have us wear suits and stuff on camera anymore. Yeah, I'm just like you got to connect with people. Like if I if I'm gonna connect with an audience, especially an audience here in San Antonio, am I gonna wear a suit or am I gonna go to like a uh, an interview in a suit or whatever? Like, does it make sense? They're gonna look at me and yeah, they're gonna be like, oh, he's a reporter, and I'm just you know. I'm just a person. Like, you nah, you would have came
1: to my office in a suit. I, that that would have not. Gone oh, the there. initial interview. It, oh, Yeah, my it would have. I would have been so nervous. I'm like, oh my god, yeah.
0: But like, like miss, you have miss, a natural aura miss, though,
1: to yourself, anyways. Though, like your energy is good. So.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. It's real. I remember. I think I showed up in some Cortezes. <laughs> I was in some yeah. Cortezes and had my um my. Summer pants that I bought from Banana Republic when I used to work there. <laughs> this is not a Banana Republic ad because their stuff is way too expensive.
1: Yes, it is. But when
0: I had that discount in college, though. Right, right. <laughs> uh,
1: Banana Republic. They do got some nice clothes.
0: <laughs> so, let's talk about that. I mean, you. That that's a common issue for a lot of Black women. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: oh yeah. You
0: no, know, it's crazy. Whether it's pay, whether it's. When they speak out on things and mm-hmm. people Anything. still view them as, oh, you're the angry person.
1: Malcolm X said it is best. <laughs> Black women are the most disrespected women in America. So true. Even in San Antonio. <laughs> oh yeah, for
0: sure. There's there's definitely an, an anti-black issue here in yeah. San Antonio. And uh,
1: yeah,
0: I tell my friends that all the time. You know, you know whether it's like at a family gathering, like if it's a joke or something, like no, that's not funny. Yeah. Like, yeah. not funny.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting, but
0: when did you move to San Antonio?
1: I moved to San Antonio in 2014, uh, from Denver. My kid's father got stationed here. Uh Um, and we were excited because my mom lives in, well, she was in Georgia at the time, but I was, we were going to be closer to family. And so, you know, we were happy about moving here. Um, and it's a big military, that's the thing. Like it's a big military town here, you know, so I've been to San Antonio. I used to come to San Antonio all the time from Colleen when I was like younger. We used to always go to San Antonio, so I like San Antonio. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: So what did you? What would you do here?
1: Like tourist stuff, oh. like you know, like I like go to Six Flags and see, uh, you know, like little tourist let's, stuff. Let's river go to, walk, like.
0: Hey guys, so there's like this authentic. Hole in the wall jam in San Antonio. It's called Mithera. It's like so good. You should go there. Right. No, nobody really knows about it. this Been like, there. Exactly. This one Mexican guy told me to go there. And yeah. I, no. I'm just yeah.
1: <laughs> and, then you, and then you go
0: there and you're like, this is not. Oh I don't my think God. this is
1: right. Like such
0: a touristy place.
1: Right. That's exactly where we probably ended up at the first place. Yeah. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: Yeah. But no, San Antonio is cool. I like. I think San Antonio is a great place for. Um, for black businesses for sure like to to develop more culture here in yeah. terms of like black people because the black people are here there's
0: a huge it's just like community. it's
1: just there's no culture here though for yeah. black people so i think like
0: i feel like the the east side is like your your best bet to, to get that right culture to get right. that um uh, just, just yeah. like who the real people are, right? Because like, yeah, you know, there's there's large black communities.
1: Like the lady you interview, what's her name again? Oh, Dorothy Yeah, Monday. that's my favorite. Dang. Every time
0: I love, that I love woman. her.
1: I want, I want to know her. Like... Oh,
0: she is the sweetest <laughs> woman in the world.
1: Yeah, I feel like she's like the the black San Antonio woman or something. Like... Oh my
0: gosh! Yeah, she moved here in the forties.
1: There's a lot of history, like Black history. Like I didn't even know this. Like there's so much like Black history here. It's like, but I feel like it's just so like washed down or something. Like it's not. It should be more celebrated. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff helps like bring this bring this out so we can have more culture out here when it comes to because you know San Antonio's just not known for that. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. they're here though. That's the weird part about it.
0: <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. So you moved here in 2014. Um, when did you feel like you were settled in, in San Antonio?
1: Um probably right when we bought this house. I okay. think I think that was in 2015. I felt like I was. But in terms of like connections and knowing people around San Antonio, I feel like I'm just now learning that now. Mm. Like I know cool people now. I know you.
0: Like, I feel like,
1: because I know you, I know everybody now, because I know you.
0: <laughs> I'm constantly tagging the homies, man. I'm right, like, oh, right. I'll support this person. Oh, yeah. so and doing this.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like I know, and I like that. Like, I feel like, that's what I love about San Antonio. It's so supportive, and, like, just meeting people through Instagram. Like, I feel like now I know more people. The fact that I've, like, even created the Instagram for the Purple Couch. I meet like... You know, people that I never even thought that I would like come in contact with, and good people, like really genuine, just like good people. That's why I love about San Antonio. It's more homey. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Well, I mean, you've been what five years already. Yeah, I mean, I'm a San
1: Antonio now. Yeah, at this exactly. Point.
0: <laughs> you're, you're, you're you're exactly what San I'm a Antonio. resident. I love it. I pay too much.
1: <laughs> right. Too, I pay, too pay poverty poverty property taxes. taxes. <laughs> I'm here. I'm up in here.
0: <laughs> um. And I like the way, the direction we're going in as a city, like, you know, there's yeah. a lot, there's a lot wrong with the city as yeah. much as I love San Antonio. I yeah. love San Antonio because of the people, but like, yeah, the people for you sure. know, there's still, you know, systemic racism. There's still, oh, yeah. you know, the 16th school district, there's still, uh, you know, the housing, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I, feel is very bad for, for certain pockets in San Antonio, like the housing projects in my hood are st- still look the same as they did in the forties. Said the Chipotle,
1: I know. I'm checking. I'm like, wait a minute, Is he's that- all outside waiting. Oh, yeah, because he said he'd be here at 157. Um,
0: we can pause it. Okay. I'm like, Let Let's see. Check. All right, it's cool. Okay, okay. So, we are back from commercial break. <laughs> chipotle, <laughs> we had some Chipotle. Gotta eat. Yeah. Chipotle is my life. <laughs> so where do we leave off? I didn't I completely forget. Where did we leave off at? Dang. I don't uh, know. Shoot. I should have listened to it back before we got I back know. up. <laughs> I'm like ADHD brain over here. Um, we, I think we were talking about you settling in. But let's mm-hmm. just go to Purple Couch. Okay. That's, that's how I discovered who you are yeah
1: you thought it was a furniture store at first you're like are you a furniture store no (laughs) i'm just
0: playing (laughs) no my homie damien um he shared you on his on his instagram story Mm -hmm. and i was like oh this is there's a lot of purple in this like purple couch therapy what is this this? then i clicked on it and i was like what the heck this is incredible so then i i think your number was on there or something so i Uh You know, I think I called oh, you. no. You're, no, I messaged yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you messaged, messaged me on, you on Instagram. Messaged you on Instagram. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we I was do like, I,
1: my office is not together. You were like, do you have a purple couch? I'm like, yes. You're like, let's get it then. <laughs> that's all we need. <laughs> you're like, you got that's the all, main thing. <laughs> that's all we
0: need is the couch. Oh, my gosh. And that couch is very empowering. Like, when I sat on that couch.
1: <laughs> it's magical.
0: Man, I felt I felt so good about myself. I was like, wow. like royalty.
1: Like, yeah, I felt like I felt Like a, like Mexi- a king. Like the
0: Mexican prince. Yeah. <laughs> Except not as talented as him. (laughs) Um, When did you start to coin the idea of this? When when was this happening?
1: It's crazy. I feel like it all happened over like... Because I remember like I was trying to come up with a name. And I think I was going to name it like before I even knew about the Purple Couch, I was going to name it like Journey to Hill or something like lame like that. That sounds and like I, a... And, and hopefully a, nobody has that out there. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be like... Sounds like
0: a Christian rock right, album. Right, right. <laughs> Journey I was to like, Hill.
1: That is so lame. <laughs> so I was like, I wanted to be like something. And nobody could help me. Like I, it was driving my brain crazy. And actually Damien actually... I kept texting him names and he was like, ah, nah, nah, nah. and I said like the purple couch and he was like, that is it. He's like, that is it literally looked at my wall. Cause my wall, in my room uh-huh. is purple. Okay. And I was, there's another therapist that I look at that inspires me from Atlanta. Uh, Therapy for black girls is like a podcast they have. And she has a practice and she has a yellow couch. And I was just like, oh I could do a purple couch here but then when I googled it to see if anybody had the name there's a lady in Oklahoma who has a purple couch but you know I, tw- I, t- I messaged her I was like hey I'm- my practice is gonna be called the purple couch too I'm just letting you know <laughs> like, what's she saying and she was like oh yeah that's fine she's like I'm in Oklahoma Dallas areas you know because I'm in San Antonio more Austin I serve more San Antonio Austin clients yeah and so she's like that's fine you know and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I want to quit my job. And I want to do it full time. She's like, well, it's going to be hard work. And it." I thought it was going to take longer to build that purple cow. I'm trying to say, like, the branding was everything. Like, that, that is what people want something different. They want. They don't want to feel like they're coming into office and it's, like, stark and yeah.
0: cold. Yeah, the and, dull couch, the yeah. dull paintings that they got. Right. You know.
1: Right. People just want, like, to know that their therapists are humans. And I'm nothing but a human and let everybody know that (laughs) right off the bat
0: (laughs) she is not a robot
1: Your therapist is a hot mess, but also great at the same time, which is what we have to learn is duality. Like you could be a hot mess and great at the same time. We don't have to be completely perfect.
0: Dang, snaps, snaps. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm a hot mess all the time. All the time,
1: all the time. (laughs) You just got to be aware that you're a hot mess. That's the key.
0: (laughs) So when did you officially launch it? Was it this year, last year? It
1: actually was, I moved into that office space.
0: It's her dog. I would talk to I'm like, let me get Malaya. Okay, okay. Let me get her. Sorry, Malaya. We have another special guest, Malaya. Ah, Malaya, you're going to drop the mic, Malaya.
1: <laughs> um, I moved in there. I moved into that office space in October um, of last year. Uh-huh. But I didn't really start marketing, like, get, getting like my name out there until, like, I probably think it was, like, January when I like announced it. But I was in that space in October, last October, October
0: 2019. Oh wow, that's yeah. Almost about to hear a year. I know. It's a nice space too. I, I like I like that area.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. It was scary at first. But I was the only person in that building. Oh wow. I know. So my clients would come in. and They'd be all. I'm like, I promise, we're gonna get it together, guys. <laughs> my clients are the most loyal. Oh my god, they're amazing. Like they literally, they are the reason, for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um. So you start the purple couch. Um, how how are you figuring things out as you go? I mean, because you know you have your your daughters, <laughs> you you have your other job that you're, you're you're dealing with. I
1: quit that job.
0: Oh, you so you really quit. Oh
1: my god, yeah, I quit July thirty first. I quit for my birthday. <gasps> that was my birthday present to myself was to quit wow. that full time. That job was holding me down. It's a it was a great job. I learned a lot, but it, I I had to choose between the purple couch or that, and of course purple couch.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. And that yeah. was you dealing with military people, right? Over there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dealing with domestic violence and child abuse.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's let's actually talk about that. Because, yeah. you know, you talk about the color purple. Yeah. Royalty. But mm-hmm. also it's the color for domestic violence awareness.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's just something. Domestic violence is something that I feel like has, like I said, like has been a part of my life. And even my family, like, generationally, it's, like, a dirty little secret that most people keep to themselves. Yeah. And most people don't even know that they're even in a domestic violence relationship sometimes. And so it was really just to bring awareness to, like, education of it, you know, and just knowing that, like, domestic violence is not just because, you know, this woman with a black eye in a corner. It could be many different ways. And so...
0: Can you talk about that? Because, like, mm -hmm. a lot of people overlook, like, verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. They overlook other things. Or, like, you know... Holding yeah. them down from, you know, pursuing something in their lives. Um, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think emotional, uh, verbal abuse is probably the worst. Uh, from what I see, like in my, even in my practice, or even just through my own experience, because a person can really, if they're clever enough, I think sometimes we do it on accident. You know, I don't know if you heard the term gaslighting. Yeah. Um, but that's basically like an insidious way to get into a person's head and make them question their own reality, which happens on all different levels. It can happen like, I be thinking I'm gaslighted every day when I watch the news and see stuff about Trump. I'm like, is it me or am I crazy, you know? And that's really what gaslighting is. It's like when like that person is telling you like, no, no, this happened, this happened. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, I know that my experience was different. This was different, but they're trying to like project something onto you. That's like not even the real reality. And so you, you rely on your partner all the time to be like, oh, did that happen? Like, you, you lose your own, like, identity because you can't think for yourself anymore. Like, really true people that are really emotionally abused, like, when you see it, the way they present, like, they rely on their partner all the time for, like, information and stuff because they have, it's a, domestic bonds is a power control dynamic. It's about who holds the power. That's what it is. And so we see that through America, like who holds the power, right? It's been, it's, this is something that has been ingrained through all systems. It's not just on an interpersonal level with domestic violence. This could be like anything, organizations, (laughs) you know what I mean? Emotionally abused by, in all kinds of different ways, you know? So domestic violence is a spectrum all the way from emotional abuse to death, Mm. to death. Death is the, the end of the spectrum, which is, which is death. You could die from domestic violence.
0: It's, it's something that's, you know, it, it obviously plagues women on the daily. Oh, yeah. Um, what has been your experience with, like, men who are experiencing it within themselves?
1: What I see, like, I think with men, especially, like, within the military, you know, you try to ask them, I think the military is different because a lot of times they don't want to come out for help. There's such a stigma on it and they don't uh-huh. want to look, like, weak Yeah, And they don't want to, you know, and so like a lot of times they just suppress it. They're like, no, I don't want any help. I don't want a victim advocate. I don't want any of that because they don't want to look like they're weak or it's such a, with the toxic masculinity thing. It's so, it's hard for them to come out and get the help. But, uh, men definitely, uh, can be survivors of domestic violence too, for sure. It's just, it's a myth that men are not, you know, and even if you look at the research and you look at like the current, my, you know, um, Natalina, <laughs> my, my administrative assistant, shows up this, like, the domestic violence will, and she was showing it to me, and I was seeing, like, how even the genders on there, like, it says her, 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 which, yeah, like, I mean, there's definitely a role of, like, yeah, a man could be stronger, or whatever, but now it's, like, so many different dynamics in domestic violence, in the LGBT community, like, there's so many different dynamics that, like, research hasn't even, like, pulled yet, on, like, wow. how to look at this.
0: So, like, how, how do you How do you deal with that though because there's no blueprint to look after there's no numbers yeah to lean on
1: it's getting better i mean there's more and more people that are researching more like for the lgbt community and like bilateral offenses with domestic violence which basically just means like both people contributed in the fight yeah um and so it's hard though because it's like but basically, they're they're both contributing to it, and so it's like, okay, how do we how do we how do we deal with this? But a lot of it is like so much preventative stuff that we just never been taught, like communication, how to control your emotions, emotional regulation. It's not really about controlling your emotions; it's more about like you learning how to react to your emotions. A lot of people think that they have to control their emotions. You really can't control your emotions. If you're sad, you're sad. If you're mad, you're mad. If you're happy, you're happy. You know what I mean? But we don't allow ourselves to actually. Uh, react to our emotions the way we should or don't know how to and so we get triggered right like childhood trauma like what I was saying <laughs>
0: she's trying to eat the chips <laughs> Limp. Limp. <laughs> oh she's, she's so adorable
1: <laughs> but you get with this you get this relationship and then you get triggered by something they said or whatever and the fight goes down so it all always goes back to like childhood trauma like it always does
0: it really does it's crazy oh my gosh I it's crazy realize-
1: Everything is based off of that, but there's no, like, we don't, as much as we know that, where's the funding? Like, why is the money not going into that?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> with your experience in San Antonio, I mean, domestic violence is a huge issue here in San Antonio.
1: Oh, yeah. You 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 saw that when you did the story on the Purple couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just in that I, one zip code. Yeah. That, oh,
0: my that God. That one zip code. The
1: 78207. 78207
0: where I was born and raised yeah, on the playgrounds but where I was most But look at the socioeconomic
1: status, too, in that. But what's crazy about it is, though, is, like, that's the thing about domestic violence. It has no... It don't matter what socioeconomic status you have. I've seen people from very, like, you know, wealthy backgrounds. Yeah, affluent. Yeah. That are... Yeah.
0: And actually, when I did the story on the teen dating violence with Rena Castro, she told me something similar, but for, for teens, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's... You know people who experience whatever kind of domestic violence uh, whether it be teen or adults um it just doesn't happen to the person who who comes from a poor background no or like you know mom doesn't have to be on drugs nope. you can't come it doesn't have to be a single parent she's like it essentially what she says is that it does not you know domestic violence does not discriminate it will it happen does not discriminate. everywhere
1: it doesn't it'll happen across boards and there's so much, I think the biggest thing is, like, the shame around it. And so I'm currently, like, trying to write this article for San Antonio Women's Magazine regarding it for domestic violence, um, you know, for the social media aspect of it, for Domestic Violence Month, um, because there's so much. I think what I've seen throughout my practice is the shame, like, just getting people, even with me, for myself, my therapist, like, talking about my own domestic violence story. It took me forever just to say, like, oh, yeah, like, he beat me. Just saying those words were so hard for me, like for a strong woman, for yeah. a person that's smart and educated, you just feel like, I'm I'm ashamed of it. There's so much shame to it. Yeah. When really it's like, why am I ashamed? I'm not the one who did it, but that's how it goes, you know, when you're, a, you know, a victim or survivor of these things.
0: Man, that's yeah. powerful. Mm-hmm. Wow. That gave me... Oh. <laughs>
1: It's real. No, it just
0: reminds me of, like, the stuff that I saw growing up, you know, with, uh, like, my mom. She, mm-hmm. her first husband, also military, mm-hmm. um, would, like, just beat the shit out of her. Yeah. And I wasn't even born yet, because, you know, she met my dad after after that marriage, but,
1: uh-huh.
0: you know, she was, there's, she was pregnant, you know, and... Uh, oh she's lying down. I'm like
1: she finally sat down (laughs) um
0: but I remember my mother was pregnant uh my mom my mom told me all these stories like we had these conversations all the time like not it's like conversations that you wouldn't think that a parent would have with their kid but she would tell me everything about everybody yeah um but I remember she told me that he threw her down the stairs Mm -hmm. and uh and that's
1: almost like trauma for you like even hearing the story like you remember like you're never gonna forget that
0: no, and, and it, <laughs> it it would trigger me, uh, like, you know, when my parents would argue, and, you know, I think I got to a certain age, I think I was 10 years old, or I would get in the middle, I'm like, yo, this is not going to happen anymore, like, mm-hmm. you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, and, you know, I think once they saw that, they're like, damn, so they, which had, is good, because yeah. some parents
1: don't, yeah, so they ended up getting a
0: divorce um, after that, and um, but I remember, I think I was 12, I was 12, I remember, it was around when I was 12. One of my uncles was about to come at my mom, and me knowing the stuff that she told me about what she went through, yep. no, so me Triggered. seeing what I my well, my dad and my mom you know went through, mm-hmm. or they put me through, because I, mm-hmm. I you know I witnessed it. I was like, you know what, this is not gonna happen.
1: Yeah. So you protect. Yeah. So yeah. I,
0: I two pieced my uncle and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, do like you know. Yeah,
1: you protect. You go in survival mode.
0: Yeah, I was like, this is not going to happen, bro. This is not going to happen. Not on my watch anymore. Like, fuck this.
1: That's what happens. And so, like, I think because of that experience, and then I feel like once I had, like, after, like, after I had, like, got a divorce and got out of that, you know, situation, when I got into a new relationship, I just, I thought I was prepared, but I was not. Because, like, I didn't realize how much I was triggered by. Mm, Okay. And that's what happens a lot is, like, I mean, that's how you see people on, like, Snapped and all of that because... A lot of these women, like, suppress these things and we don't know that we're triggered. And then eventually, because we've suppressed it, we're like, I'm gonna kill this man, you know? And you see all these women in prison because it's out of a result of their own PTSD from domestic violence relationships. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Not that I say go kill a man. I'm just saying. Just <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that's how you see that, though. I mean,
0: no, it, it's it really make, what it, it is. It makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so for, what do you think, like, do you think... Uh, a program needs to be implemented
1: there is there's groups so um when i and that's one thing i learned working through i was i was at a joint base san antonio doing domestic violence stuff mm-hmm. working at fort sam houston in their family advocacy department and i went i remember going to a training this lady created a social worker licensed clinical social worker she created this program for those kind of women mm-hmm. that end up get like going through the court system end up having like a legal charge based off of like you know fighting with their partners really try to probably like protect themselves or just being triggered because they've always been abused in the relationship and finally fought back, but they're the ones who end up oh, man. getting charged and yeah, it's crazy. So there's, there's actually, a, there was a program for it, you know, um, I think it was called Vista, Vista Group.
0: <laughs> that happened to my mom now that I think about it. Did
1: it? See? So, PTSD. It's real. No, it's a real it thing. Post-traumatic stress disorder.
0: I always joke with my little sister when my mom was pregnant with her, she got arrested. So I always joke with my little sister, like, yeah, you've been arrested before because <laughs> your was pregnant with We're you. We're all
1: prone to it. We really are. You know? But now that, I,
0: that you said that, I, I thought about it. I was like, maybe that's why, like, they got into so many fights. Because my dad's this dude from Mexico. And men from Mexico think that whatever I say goes. And oh, yeah. Like the your, machismo.
1: Stuff, your yeah. job is to. And that's another factor of domestic violence is yeah. the toxic masculinity.
0: Oh, yeah. You thinking,
1: like, women are supposed to only do this role. Yeah. And then when the women's like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And that's it's a it's yeah. a clash.
0: Yeah, and I, this, it's so funny that you mentioned that. I was like, wow, yeah. like, that's literally <laughs> that's literally my mom. That's <laughs> my story. Bro, my mom, dude, she, she will throw hands mom, with anybody, dude. She's crazy. I love her. Yes. All right, Pete, to are the strong.
1: Legend. Women are strong. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's totally a thing. So I definitely, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen people, you know, get their careers ruined over just like mistakes of from domestic violence on both ends even I mean and what opened my mind to it because I never thought I always thought I had this bias of like would I be able to work with men offenders like male offenders and going to that group when I worked at Fort Sam and with the military people and seeing like educating them oh sure educating them on like learning about their history and learning that like oh they experienced this when they were little like it, it just makes sense if you understand trauma in the brain and like why not saying that it's okay to do that but a lot of us just don't know what's inside of us yeah you know there's different forms of domestic violence there's like characterological domestic violence where it's like that person who no matter what they're gonna come in and just raise hell every day you know what i mean or there's like situational domestic violence where it's just like two of you got in just a heated moment. And that's what most of it is with couples. You know what I mean? It's like, they don't know how to control, like control their reactions to their emotions or communicate to the other person. It's that power control dynamic. And so it's like an incident, like an accident, a regrettable incident, you know? And you can repair it, you can recover. I see couples all the time that I help repair regrettable incidents like that, you know what I mean? Um, It is repairable, it takes a lot of individual work first yeah. before couples work but it, it can be repairable
0: how fulfilling is to see your clients make progress like how, how did that make you feel
1: it really it was crazy as i tell them it's always them you mm-hmm. know what i mean like my job is just to help facilitate and guide it really is it's like it really is them it's within like they know more than me i'm like you know more than me you know the answer i'm yeah. just helping you like pull it out of you helping you like take some cobwebs out that's really a therapist role. A lot of people come in therapy like thinking that we're the, like, I'm not a lifesaver. I'm not. You know what I mean? It's the client. It's the client. They have it within them. If there's the right vibe, the right connection, you can help people heal.
0: How important is it for people to know that? Because I always tell my friends who have bad experiences with counseling, therapy, whatever, I tell them that it's not a one-size-fits-all. Like, you... you what's important is like finding that right person it's a
1: dance it's a fine art i really think therapy is like a fine art dance plus some science but it's a it really is a dance like a tango and sometimes you got to be silent and silence is okay like you got to know the therapist has to be skilled to know and i think research says anyways 80 percent of it is important for that was like the first thing i learned in school was engagement that's the first thing you learn is like how to engage the client you know what i mean from the beginning from the click on your website how do I how do I engage this client how do I build rapport with them Lauren Hill quote you know what I mean like engagement's everything even with us we wouldn't have this organic conversation if we weren't engaged true yeah it's engagement vibes therapeutic vibes
0: (laughs) it's funny that when we were on the phone yesterday when you told me um what did you call, you call you call me like a therapist because I told what I told yeah, you you literally you are it's funny though you literally just said what I tell um the people I do stories on oh really I always tell them when they thank me
1: mm-hmm. I'm like
0: no thank you for allowing me to tell your story you did all the work right all I did was you know record an interview get some nice cool uh, fancy sequential shots mm-hmm. like video and I just Put it together, but it. I think
1: like you know, like you're the genius for being able to like see things that are within people that they can't see. Yeah, like you just have that ability. Not everybody has that. You can see something inside a person that they can't even see.
0: Yeah, some people when I, I, I go up to them and you know tell them I want to do a story, they're like really, why do you
1: want to do a story on me? Like, yeah, I'm not important, but they are.
0: Yeah, no, Everybody's I don't And then and one. then I'll break it down. I'm like, no, like you, you know, you yeah, do this, great, and this affects. The youth over here, yeah, which in a sense is affecting, you know, our future.
1: Yeah. It's just because we measure our greatness by what we see like on TV and stuff like that. People don't really know. Like we put ourselves in boxes. Yeah. My Me and my client the other day came up with this thing where we're like, fuck your boxes. Like we are not a part of these boxes no more that society try to put us in because it like minimizes, it shrinks ourselves where we like forget that, oh, we got lots of gifts to offer and we don't even know to the world.
0: True. Mm-hmm. man. She's out here spitting fire <laughs> for free ninety nine. For free ninety nine. <laughs> um, Purple couch is doing so well. I
1: know it's crazy because of my clients. They share. They're the ones. They like refer and share. Literally, like no advertisement besides my Instagram.
0: Some lady came up to me at a protest. Um, uh, oh, forgot her name. I actually had coffee with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was super sweet though. She came up to me. And uh, she says, you're, you're, um, you're Jose, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I had my mask on. All her, mm-hmm. She noticed me. And I'll uh, oh, probably never mind. I understand. I had my Spectrum shirt on. But she's like, yeah, you did a story on uh, my therapist. And I was like, oh, Jessica? And she's like, yeah. And so, you know, she, she cool. was praising you. Aww, like, she was like, like sweet. telling me how incredible you are. I was like, yeah, like, she's Aww. great people. It was one of the easier interviews I've ever done. Uh, nice. it was a lot of fun she's, really she's great people and uh yeah it, it was just really cool and um i don't know if she i think she had said something um along the lines of i don't know if she saw she met you before i did the story mm-hmm. or after i don't even know but mm-hmm. um I was like, yeah, I just, I just thought it was a great idea to do a story mm-hmm. on someone who's focusing on, you know, black and brown people mm-hmm. specifically, because mm-hmm. that stigma needs to be eliminated yeah. in our communities. Mm-hmm. You know, you we're always told, oh, just pray on it, or I know. you're just sad. I know.
1: You'll be all right. Right.
0: Get over it. It's right. like what? No, like, bro, our feelings are valid. What the hell's wrong <laughs> with y'all? What is Definitely. wrong with y'all?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, no, my clients are they are amazing. It's mutual. Like it's not, they think it's just like I'm helping them, but they don't know that they're helping me too. Like, and it's like in school you're not supposed to like, they say like, you're not supposed to self disclose. Like you're not supposed to, I think that like, that's actually therapists can use. It's called like use of self. Like that's the psychology term about it. But I think like, even with your stories, like and you telling me about you, like that helps. That's how you build rapport and connection. Like who am I to be like, Hmm, like let me, Oh, you got this. Okay. You got this disorder. Like, that's not. That's yeah, not. Yeah, it, like it feels like a it like a doctor's yeah, visit. Yeah, yeah, that's not therapeutic. Anything. Yeah, I want to connect. So I mean,
0: I like that approach. It's a really good approach
1: mm-hmm. with every. But I use that with everything though, students. My, you know, I want it to be like a connection, like, and I want it. I want to come up with a plan that you like a collaboration that you want. Like when you come up with a treatment plan for therapy, you want the client to really be involved in, like, well, what does this look like when you're better? Like, what would you be doing? What mm-hmm. would be different? because some people don't even know what I want I don't want to be depressed no more okay so if you weren't what, what would you be doing if you weren't like some people don't even have the idea or the picture that in itself is the intervention wow just helping them see what it looks like so when it comes to them they at least they know
0: <laughs> damn yeah what would I be doing
1: I know you'd be doing this
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is therapeutic you know yeah, like when I interview people it is and
1: it's healing it,
0: as as traumatic as it is mm-hmm. because people are pouring their lives out to me yep yeah it's that's crazy yep. I don't know how you do it though I don't I don't like y'all
1: well I'm gonna find some other therapists to do it hopefully <laughs> <laughs> no I love it I do I, I love it that's the crazy part I do love like I love seeing like the end result too it's like oh okay and it's not even, it may not even be what you think. It could be like that person just learned how to create boundaries for themselves. It could be as simple as that. Ooh, and that alone, so that alone can like make wonders happen. I always tell my clients like what you'll see. I always tell them you'll see small results. I was like, you'll see, cause the anxiety is here to stay. It's coronavirus. It's black lives matter. Trump is in office. Like anxiety is going to be here regardless. We got a lot of things to be worried about. But it's, it's about how do I like navigate that? How do I like still lean into like what I want in life regardless of the, how do I make room for it? Cause it's here. That's how I teach it more of an acceptance standpoint, not like let's get rid of your anxiety. That's just impossible.
0: Oh my gosh. It literally is.
1: Yeah. And if there's a therapist that can do it, please sign me up. I need it. Cause I know I got anxiety. So,
0: <laughs> so how do you take care of yourself?
1: I have actually, I'm looking for a new therapist. Um, because I quit my job, so I need to find a new one. Yeah, and it was just time. It's time for me to find a new one. I would love to find like a black woman therapist. I would love to do that, a safe place for me to just rant about just being a black woman.
0: You're trailblazing though. You're cre- you're creating that lane, and you know, sure enough, they're they're, they're gonna come. I want
1: to find one. They're gonna yeah, come. They're gonna I know. come. I want one, and then um, like
0: you're literally you're like. You're like super important right now in the city, whether Aww, you whether you believe it or so not. Sick. Like, you know, what you're doing is is very refreshing. It's new, it's needed mm-hmm. for sure. Like needed with the capital needed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, oh, I right. appreciate that. I, I hope to find more therapists though to to work for for my practice, like an LGBT one, like somebody to kind of represent just like everything, you know what I mean, for each person that needs that. Because I, I know how important engagement and rapport building is. And so having that connection is everything, it really is. And, and there's nothing wrong with white therapists, like there's white therapists out there that are amazing. I, I know a lot of great white therapists. Yeah. I think the issue is like, when you go look for a therapist, do a consultation with them first, like talk to them for free. you get a free one for like 10 to 15 minutes. Ask them what work have you done on your privilege? Like, just ask them, and if they can answer that question, next. Like, I mean, because you don't want them projecting their privilege onto you, and then you might as well not go to therapy at all. I read that you just meditate or breathe or something. Like, don't even go to therapy if you're gonna. You can be. Sometimes you can end up worse off. There's a lot of bad therapists out there. There just are, that don't care about stuff like that.
0: Yeah, there are. I've been to them. (laughs) In your opinion, what makes a great therapist?
1: I think one that can be silent. (laughs) <laughs> that can listen, yeah. be quiet, you know what I mean? And just be transparent. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, an example, like a, a person that can be, you know, like I'm never going to tell a client to do something that, that I wouldn't do. You know what I mean? Like, so if I tell a client like, hey, like maybe let's, let's practice these breathing techniques. I'm going to do it. We're going to do it together in the session. We're going to do it. We're going to, I'm going to teach them how to breathe in the session. I'm not going to just say, hey, go home and breathe. Like, no, I'm some people, Oh, do you breathe? Like, they don't breathe. Breath is everything. That's what helps reduce that triggered feeling so that you can use the logical part of your brain. It's actually science behind it. But a lot of people don't know, like, how powerful it is. And it's free if you know how to do
0: it. And yeah. it's really easy. <laughs> There's one <laughs> just time. just have to be
1: intentional doing it.
0: Yeah. There's one time a couple years ago where I, I felt like I've, I've never experienced a panic attack, but I felt like I was going to have one. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was just... Just doing, i was taking these deep breaths um and it, it helped me calm down because oh, I, yeah. I, I just didn't know what to do the, i mean yeah. there's was, there was yeah. a lot going on at the time but yeah
1: the best thing to do when you're having a panic like i always tell my clients is like to actually say like i'm ex- i have anxiety right now like say what's going on say it out loud don't okay. keep it in your head like you know you want to like talk to your thoughts yeah you want to be the observer of your thoughts that way you have control if you let like your thoughts just kind of drive you, then you just have no control.
0: Yeah. You know? So at the end of, we, we can do this episode for like two hours, but Jessica has a training to do I know. EMDR. at three. Um, <laughs> I usually end each episode by telling my guests uh, to talk their ish. You know, it's the talk your ish segment. Talk your ish could be you praising yourself about something or you just ranting about something. So talk your ish. Um,
1: I'm like, what is my ish? I guess my my main issues. Is I feel like we all have it backwards. I'm all like, I'm, I'm definitely all like a, I'm always gonna come from a black woman perspective and like woman perspective since I'm a mom and stuff. I just want people to like right now understand that we're in a pandemic and to take care of yourself. Like if you need to rest, if you take a nap, if you need to whatever, like be unapologetic about it and realize the resistance you have to it. America's trying to gaslight us and think that like everything's back to normal, and this shit's not normal at all. Like people are suffering right now. It's people that haven't touched a human being in like six months. Some people are still in their house. that haven't even like had contact. So like, what, whatever you need to do to take care of yourself, to rest, please do so. Please. That's that's my thing.
0: Where can we find you?
1: Um, you can find me on my Instagram at purplecouchtherapy, or you can find me at www.purplecouchcounseling.org.
0: Cool, and that wraps it up for episode 23. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. You are one of my favorite people.
1: Same, same.
0: And remember, guys, stay brown. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Oh, man.